Music is a powerful part of our worship of the Lord because it is a very quick way to feel emotional joy that reminds us and is a vehicle for that deeper and more meaningful joy that we've been talking about and will continue to uh, this week and maybe a few weeks to come. Our scripture lesson today is in both the Old and the New Testaments. It's in Daniel 3, 13 through 18 and also Romans 8, 35 through 37. We invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and this is from the New Living Translation. You might notice one specific change in Romans. Daniel 3, 13 through 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace." And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now listen to this. But even if, young man, I'm talking, I'm talking, there you go, (laughs) but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And in the book of Romans... Paul writing to a people undergoing persecution, further persecution, even worse, to soon follow. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, For your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And with the words that we no doubt heard growing up, in him we are more than conquerors. This is the word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this day. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Just as a postscript from last week where we focused on how we recover joy 
in the situations where maybe things seem evil, that they are directed toward us, and how we overcome evil not by doing more evil, but by doing good. And this doesn't make sense to the world. (coughs) Pardon me. And then having the news come up last night of the hatred and the violence that was going on in Virginia. You see, hatred and violence always spread, always intensify, double down on one another, and claim lives in the absence of the love of Christ. Not necessarily the love of Him, but the love that He demonstrated through us. A love that dares us to love and care for our enemies. That, people say, well, what is the solution to this? Quit hating one another. That's the solution. Then if you want to fix the problems that have led to the hatred, then it's a total different solution. But to stop the violence, stop hating one another. Having said that, I am fully in agreement with the person who said my granddad fought to get rid of that swastika and we are not going to go back to it now amen man but we are told and this is hard to bless those who persecute us not to curse them but to pray that god will bless them and that is hard but it gets worse we're told to never pay back evil with more evil but to do all that we can to live in peace with everyone. Dear Lord, hear our prayer. Let it be. And dear Lord, let it be that just because we have loud voices yelling, we never mistake them for the voices of our neighbor and our friend. And we don't let them introduce division in our hearts. Now, going on. Old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I always call him Abednego, but it's not. It's Abednego. They were not originally named that. I should have put their original names here. Totally forgot. But these were the names given to them in Babylon. This, this was their Babylonian names. And they dealt with that, and they would dress as the Babylon. It was fine. They would do these things, but there came a point whenever they were told to do something that violated their conscience, violated their belief of what God wanted them to do that would have cost them their integrity, and they would not step over this line. They were told to bow down to this idol whenever the cymbals clashed or the trumpet blasted. Basically, here's a king. Okay, you're not going to bow down to this symbol of my divinity and my power and my authority. My goodness. How many times have God's people, whatever they're called, whatever their ethnicity, gotten in trouble because they didn't bow down to what the state was telling them to do? So... If you remember the story, they were thrown into the furnace. The people who threw them in were killed because Nebuchadnezzar was really upset. 
And he said, stoke the fire, stoke the fire, stoke the fire, seven times hotter. Well, it was very, very hot. They were thrown in, the guards throwing them in, were burned, injured, killed. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute, we threw three people in. What's number four doing in there? And this fourth one looks like, and the different translations are one of the gods or a son of the gods or the son of God. And then the three come back out. The smell of smoke is not even on them. And generations of ministers for probably more than the last 2,000 years. I'm talking about temple times in Israel have probably made the same observation. But you notice that God is still in the fire. That is a message hopefully we all get. But their great statement of courage is the thing that gets me. It's that even if he does not. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to answer to you. We know that our God will save us. But if he does not, even if he does not, we're going to do the right thing. That's faith. That is trust. That's the delivering of oneself into the hands of God, having faith in God that he can do all things, but still saying it's his choice, but we will trust in him. Now that's something that we understand. Usually we just understand it by analogy because for years we have compared in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have talked about the struggles and the trials that we face in life. And we have used the imagery of Christ in the boat on the sea saying, peace be still to the storms. We have used the imagery of the three being cast in the fire and God being there with them, the son of God walking in the fire with them and the smoke not even touching them. Very few of us, I don't think any of us here, have actually had to face the threat of death like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the followers of Christ in the first century or the followers of Christ on the other side of the world today have to do. But we connect to it and we pray, dear Lord, deliver us. But we cannot escape that even if statement. We cannot escape it when we read this story. We cannot escape it whenever Jesus is praying in the garden. Lord, if it be your will, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not what I will, what you will be done. That is what these three young Jewish men are saying. I trust that God will save us, but even if he chooses not to. We will still follow him. And then in Romans, Paul is saying we are more than conquerors. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And it's also implied and stated very clearly in the New Living Translation that nothing that happens to us, now get this, because this is something I've seen Christians over the years struggle with. Nothing that happens to us proves that Christ doesn't love us. And you and I both know it is tempting to think sometimes, I can't believe this happened. God, what have I done to deserve this? And sometimes maybe there was something and he's trying to get through to us. Sometimes we can be a little uh, (laughs) thick 
Someone once said, has God ever gotten your attention? He said, oh yeah, he used a two by four of faith on me. Ow. Um, And I know there are times God gets our attention, but please don't make the mistake of thinking that every time something bad happens, it's because you have done something and you deserve it. No. And how can I prove that easily? Did Christ deserve the cross? No. Who deserved the cross? We deserve the cross. Christ took it upon himself and our sin and bore it all. The greatest action that God has done in this earth that's directly and personally related to you was within the act of his son's unjust suffering. Something in his suffering, and we can talk theology all day long, but it comes down to this. Christ's suffering on the cross is redemption for us. And the early church had, the early church had a better theology of suffering than we do, obviously. Because in what Paul is saying, martyrdom for the sake of the gospel, martyrdom as it was originally intended, all right? Not what it's become in the last 20 years in other communities. Martyrdom for the sake of the gospel is explicitly mentioned. We are being killed all the day long. And remember, do not forget that Paul was that guy holding the coats, watching while others stoned Stephen to death. So he is drawing on memories of his trials, but also the sights he saw when he was fighting against the gospel. But even in this, he says, we are more than conquerors. We have this overwhelming victory, but how can we have this overwhelming victory in death? It seems that he's implying that if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had died in the fire, they still would have been more than conquerors. How can that be? Maybe he was thinking of Stephen. To me, one of the ways I interpret this is by understanding it as an act of joy, of a response to joy. Those joy as we defined it last week is kind of C.S. Lewis defined it. This glimpse of the eternal which places a longing in our hearts that in and of itself is more fulfilling than any earthly pleasure or satisfaction that leaves within us a firm conviction of the temporary limited nature of this world that we live in. And here's where it is strange and amazing and yet God's honest truth. Sometimes it is the very pain or sorrow or fear or uncertainty that we experience that causes joy to rise up within us. Before he was stoned, Stephen saw, quote, in Acts seven fifty six. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. That was heaven breaking through. While in jail, Paul and Silas were singing praise songs. Ever been in jail? Ever sung a praise song while you were there? I can't say I've had that experience. I don't really want it. But I imagine it's hard. Especially back in a day where cruel and unusual punishment was the goal, not the thing to be avoided. Paul and Silas in jail singing in Acts 16, the earth shook and the cell door opened. Why is that? 
that sometimes it is the, let's just put it like this, the church halfway around the world who are in threat of their lives, I guarantee you, is closer to the heart of God in many ways than the church in America. Is there any contesting of that? There is something about the trial. There is something about the fire that brings us closer to him. Maybe it's because we are broken. Maybe it's because when we have found health and wealth and security, which we all go after and try to cling to, that when we find these things, we start to minimize the role of God in our lives. And you see that in the pattern of Scripture of the Old Testament. They were blessed. They forgot. They fell away. They repented. They came back to God. They were blessed. They fell. And it, you know, in ways large and small, if we look at our lives, we might see if we're honest that little pattern as well that we turn more to him whenever we are standing in front of the fire or when we are on the boat on the stormy seas. Because contrary to what we think it should be, it's when we feel very secure in our sufficiency that we tend to forget about God and we tend to lose that joy with a capital J. See, the ancient Christians had an actually good theology of suffering. They said over and over in the New Testament, you can find this, that in some mysterious way it drew us closer to Christ and remade us in his image. Now that doesn't mean that we like it. If you like suffering, something is wrong. Usually, you might want to see someone about this. Oh, I tell you, I just enjoy pain and suffering so much. What? No. It also doesn't mean that we deserve it. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many times will I say their names today? They were very close to death because they were doing the right thing. What this does mean, though, is that when we face suffering or uncertainty, we can and should turn our hearts toward God. Face suffering with as much courage as we can. Lean on one another. Lean on one another for support. Pray for deliverance. But have a firm conviction that even if things go the way we dread, that God has something beautiful waiting for us on the other side of that trial. Hey, Kelton, is the computer sound clicked on? Let's try something different today. They say sometimes you win some. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your glory and grace is sufficient for us. Dear Lord, when we are faced with the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, of a friend, of a child, Lord, give us the strength to sing. It is well with our soul. In your name we pray. Amen.